Hi, everybody. I hope you're doing okay. That's by no means a given in this day and age. Listen, I don't even know where to start today, so I'm just going to speak from my heart. First of all, I need to pay tribute to the people of Ukraine because they are all exhibiting a bravery and a resolve that is indescribable. We also owe a huge debt of gratitude to the classical musicians who are speaking out against the atrocities that are being perpetrated on the Ukrainian people, and to those who are keeping mum curses on you. Curses. And you know who I'm talking about, friends. During the last week of February, we lost two great singers, both in their very early 90s. Josephine Vesey, the British mezzo, was 91. She died on the 22nd of February, and the great Antonietta Stella died the following day at the age of 92. I wanted to pay tribute to both of them, and it appears that both left recordings for us of the Verdi Requiem. And so, in honor of our Ukrainian siblings, let's first hear Josephine Vizi singing an excerpt from this 1970 recording of the Verdi Requiem that she did with Leonard Bernstein. This is the Liber Scriptus.
and the great Antonietta Stella, who was one of my favorite singers, honestly, and whom I will dedicate a full episode to before the end of season three, that I promise you. Here she is singing the final section of the Libera Me, the final movement of the Requiem. This performance took place in Vienna on the 20th of November, 1954, and the conductor is Herbert von Karajan. Okay, whatever, but she's great. In memory of both of those great artists and in memory of all who have perished in the attack on Ukraine, let us turn our thoughts. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what 
is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. So I had one final episode planned for Black History Month that was supposed to post last Friday. And I did post an episode last Friday, and I thought it was a great episode, but it was only half of the musical material that I intended to include. So this is part two of the Never Forget slash Legacy episode. We're going to hear some magnificent singers today, some of them extremely obscure. And to start things off, I'm going to go way off in left field and present to you a singer who I just became acquainted with when I listened to a program about her that was posted in her memory, for she died at the beginning of February. I'm talking about the extraordinary singer and writer and performer Betty Davis. And no, we're not talking about the actor Betty Davis. We're talking about this life force that for a few years in the 1970s blazed madly in the field of pop music. I'm just going to play a little bit of this song of hers called They Say I'm Different. The reason I'm doing this, even though it's the only music of this type that we're going to hear today, is because the name of this episode is Legacy, okay? And here she is talking about all of these great black musicians that preceded her and influenced her and made a difference in her life. So... Let's pay tribute to Betty Davis and use this same example that she gives us of paying tribute to all of those great pop musicians as we turn to all of the great classical musicians that we're going to discuss today. They say I'm different because I'm a piece of sugar cake. Sweet to the core, that's right, I got a real bone. My great-grandma didn't like the fox. Now, instead she spit it's nothing boogie Tell I'm on drag Spit on They say I'm different cause I'm a piece of sugar cane And when I kick my legs, oh, I got real fun My great-grandpa was a blues lover But he be rocking his moonshine The baby king and Jimmy Lee rock on that
also mention that if people are interested in supporting my podcast financially, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you can make a contribution either monthly or yearly to help support the podcast. Thank you for your listenership. Thank you for your support in all ways. I have to make a recommendation to all of you who are inspired by and moved by all of the musicians that I presented during Black History Month. I was so inspired and influenced by this new book that was published by the scholar and author Kira Thurman. The book is called Singing Like Germans, Black Musicians in the Land of Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. It's published by Cornell University Press, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It tells an inspiring and, at times, infuriating, but mostly transcendent tale of how African-American musicians made their way over to Germany primarily, even in the years immediately after the Civil War, and made their mark in a society which often didn't really even know what to do with them. One of the primary characters in this book is a baritone named Aubrey Pankey, who spent most of his active career in Europe. In fact, what's so interesting about him is that once the wall went up, he was in East Germany because he had always been a committed communist and threw his hat in that ring. He lived there until his death in a car crash in 1971. I have found some late career films and recordings of him, and they puzzled me because I don't even know how to say this. They simply weren't very good, and that that was frustrating for me. But then, going down that rabbit hole that one often does when doing research online, I discovered a 1938 recording that he made of the song Amarilli Mia Bella, and it is sung with such beauteous tone, such expression, such vocal command, that I thought that it would be a nice way to start off today's episode by sharing this exquisite recording with you. Oh, in cold. 
Now today I'm breaking the episode into several different pieces. First, we're going to hear African-American singers performing Baroque repertoire. From there, we're going to move into more concert repertoire, dipping just our little toe into the extreme avant-garde of the late 60s and early 70s. After that, we're going to hear a number of performances of art song, sung by a cache of singers, some of whom you will have heard of, and others who are among the most obscure singers I've ever presented on the podcast. Then I have a number of opera arias for you, which highlight artists that, again, were mostly unfamiliar to me, or at least not familiar enough to me. So that's the structure the episode's going to take. Now, when I talk about Baroque music and singing, I tend to prefer what I call the full-figured Baroque style. I did an episode on the Bach Aria group a little over a year ago, and I featured a number of really exceptional performances in what I would call maybe an old-fashioned style of singing. For instance, what we just heard Aubrey Pankey doing. But now I'm going to play for you a performance that took place in Venice in 1980. This was conducted by musicologist, scholar, harpsichordist, conductor, all-around jack-of-all-trades vis-a-vis Baroque music, Alan Curtis. He had engaged Carmen Balthrop to sing the role of Popea. Now, Popea's not a very high role, and Carmen Balthrop was a light, lyric, almost a coloratura soprano. Her biggest claim to fame was having sung the title role of Trimonisha in Scott Joplin's opera when it was revived by Houston Grand Opera in the late 70s. Alan Curtis had seen her in that, and he felt that she would be a perfect Popea. According to an interview that I found with her, she initially resisted, but finally let herself, thank goodness, be talked into assuming the role. Now, Karen Balthrop died last September at the age of 73, and at that time I did a sort of mini-tribute to her, featuring a number of her recordings. But I didn't feature anything from this popea, and I'd like to remedy that by playing the final duet in which she is joined by the exceptionally good British mezzo Carolyn Watkinson as Nerone. And the rubs of those suspensions are just so gorgeous. Now, I will say, I tend not to like a lot of that vibrato-free singing, but these women are actually using their voices. They're engaging their whole bodies in the production of the sound. I feel the same way about the singing of someone like Margaret Marshall, whom I have also featured on the podcast. There are ways to sing without vibrato, but still with your body. And here we hear a wonderful example from both of these women, Carmen Balthrop and Carolyn Watkinson. Oh. 
Now I'm going to throw us into something completely old-fashioned in terms of Baroque performance. This is a 1951 recording by the bass baritone Marvin Hayes of the perennial favorite Arm, Arm, Ye Brave from Judas Maccabeus. While he was still a young singer, Marvin Hayes was engaged to dub the voice of the character Husky Miller, the Escamillo character, in Otto Preminger's 1953 film version of Carmen Jones. He went on to study with Pierre Bernac and Francis Poulenc to sing with most of the major orchestras in the United States, and finally to take up a teaching position at CalArts from 1965 to 1979. So this recording is from the very beginning of his career. It's a complete recording of Judas Maccabeus, and Maurice Abravanel conducts the Utah Symphony Orchestra. singer that I admire so deeply, and who also, I will add, was a great supporter of mine in the very early days of my singing career, was the beautiful African-American soprano Adele Addison, who is still with us at the age of 96. She was one of the most highly regarded and respected singers of concert repertoire, in the late 50s and early 60s, and appeared on numerous, numerous recordings with people like Leonard Bernstein, Robert Shaw, and Frederick Waldman. I came very, very close to doing a full episode on Adele Addison, and I hope to do one on her before the end of the summer. For now, I have two examples of her exceptional singing of Baroque music. One of her most famous recordings was Leonard Bernstein's truncated recording of Handel's Messiah. But right around the same time that that recording was made, she also participated in a recording with the Handel and Haydn Society of Boston that included, among its soloists, Donald Graham, another singer I have earmarked 
for a special episode coming up as soon as I can put something together. Here's an excerpt from that recording with Adele Addison singing Rejoice Greatly, O Daughter of Zion. A number of years later, Leonard Bernstein performed and recorded, again in a truncated version, an English-language performance of Bach's St. Matthew Passion. In many ways, this is, well, it's simply an old-fashioned performance, but there are many highlights because two of the singers on here are two of the very best African-American concert artists from that period, Del Addison and Betty Allen, who we heard at the beginning of last week's episode, singing so movingly from Prokofiev's Alexander Nevsky. Here, those two artists sing the duet, So ist mein Jesus nun gefangen, in this English-language translation by John Troutbeck, Behold, my Savior now is taken. This recording was made in 1963. 
Another tremendous African-American Bach singer was the tenor Seth McCoy, who lived from 1928 to 1997. Again, he was primarily a concert artist, but he did debut at the Met in 1979 singing Tamino in Zauberflöte. Around that time, he also participated in a recording of the Matthew Passion, in this case in German, under the now discredited conductor Johannes Somari. Whatever else he did, and he did a lot of really horrible things, let's not mince words about this, he did always hire exceptional soloists. Here is Seth McCoy singing the gorgeous aria Geduld from The Matthew Passion.
Now just this week, who celebrated her 125th birthday but Marian Anderson? Now, David has given me the challenge of never once this week using the word distinguished to describe any of the singers I'm presenting. So I can't use that word to describe Marian Anderson. But if I were going to use that word to describe one artist featured on today's episode. It would be her. The reason I've not yet done a full episode on Marian Anderson is because I'm not sure I have all that much to add to the extraordinary breadth of material that is already available out there, including this fantastic PBS documentary on American Masters that premiered a few weeks ago, and which features, among other people, George Shirley, who everybody, I hope, knows now is one of my very favorite singers, Kira Thurman, who wrote the Singing Like Germans book, and Denise Graves, who speaks very eloquently about her contact with Marian Anderson. So what can I offer of Marian Anderson that maybe you haven't heard before, but this rare live recording of her with the oboist, Robert Bloom, whom I've also featured on the podcast before. He sang with that oboe like the very best Bach singers use their voices. And here is a beautiful interweaving of those two voices, Marian Anderson and Robert Bloom, in an aria from Bach's Cantata 187. The aria itself is called Du Herr, Du Krönst allein das Jahr.
Another singer who made such an exceptional contribution to the world of music and had certain doors been open to her would have been renowned in her prime as one of the greatest singers in the world is Dorothy Maynard, who also, of course, founded the Harlem School of the Arts. She left a limited recorded legacy, but what we have, both live and studio recordings, reveal a voice of such fine technical control, such such refulgent beauty that one can't help but be swept away. Here's her 1942 studio recording of the Alleluia from Exultate Jubilate, and I doubt you've ever heard it sung more gorgeously. Thank you. 
be touching on a few singers who are much less well-remembered. One of these is a singer named Grace de la Cruz. I first encountered her when I picked up in a used record store a recording of excerpts from Porgy and Bess that were performed by Lawrence Winters and this woman, Grace de la Cruz. This recording was live from, I believe, 1964. And I thought, oh, this is a very good singer. In fact, I might have featured the duet with Lawrence Winters on the Lawrence Winters episode that I did two years ago. I'm pretty sure that I did. It's a lovely voice. Her recordings are not very common. And I found a recording from 1965 of her doing the alto part in Dvorak's Stabat Mater. And because I collect these things when I can find them at a reasonable price, I picked up a copy of it, and here is an excerpt of the alto aria Inflammatus et Accensus. This is, once again, Grace de la Cruz. I think she sounds more like a soprano, and I have also the knowledge of having heard her sing the Porgy and Bess duet with Lawrence Winters, so I don't know why she's singing alto here, but she has a nice approach to the music, and I think she's worth paying tribute to. Next, I'm going to feature another singer who you may not have heard of before, Louise Parker. She was a contralto who had an operatic and concert career in the 1950s and 60s up through the 1970s, I believe primarily in the United States. 
Certainly her most famous recording and the one most widely circulated was a recording that she made of Hindemith's Requiem called When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed, a Requiem for Those We Love. Originally, this work was written by Paul Hindemith in memory of FDR, and Hindemith performed and recorded it with the New York Philharmonic shortly before his death in 1963. By the time this recording was released in 1964, Paul Hindemith was dead, as was John F. Kennedy, so that this recording of a work that was originally intended as a tribute to FDR was also then, in effect, also a tribute to the memory of JFK. Hindemith used as his text words of Walt Whitman, and I'm going to play a very short excerpt, an arioso entitled Sing On There in the Swamp. Now we're going to touch on a little bit more concert repertoire, and as I mentioned, we are going to dip our little toe into the world of the avant-garde. I did feature this singer, the African-American baritone William Pearson, on one other occasion on the podcast. Probably his most famous creation, although he was an extremely versatile artist, was Hans-Werner Henze's dramatic song cycle slash chamber work El Cimarron, which describes the escape of the slave El Cimarron, and which uses extended vocal techniques. The piece is scored for baritone voice, piano, flute, guitar, and percussion. I'm going to play the brief final song, Das Messer. Morgen sterbe ich vielleicht. Ma 
Gesicht verstecke ich nicht. Damals mussten wir stillhalten. Und schmutzig in den Bergen. Und die spanischen Truppen zogen vorbei, sauber wie die Zinssoldaten, mit ihren blitzenden neuen Gewehren. Ist es anders? Die Wahrheit kann niemand verstecken. Keine Lust zu sterben. Bei den Kämpfen, die kommen werden, bin ich dabei. Ich grabe mich nicht ein. Ich brauche kein neues Gewehr. Mein altes Messer, mein großes Messer, mehr brauche ich nicht. Now, if that was too white bread for you, how about something really extreme? Peter Maxwell Davies was another composer who excelled in these extraordinary theater pieces that were also song cycles of a type. He wrote a number of works like these for the Welsh soprano Mary Thomas, but he also wrote a work called Eight Songs for a Mad King. This piece was originally written for the singer Roy Hart, who was a specialist in extended vocal techniques. In fact, Roy Hart also premiered a piece that Hans-Werner Henze wrote for him. But when it came time to record this Eight Songs for a Mad King by Peter Maxwell Davies, the task fell to the African-American singer and composer Julius Eastman, an unapologetically queer, completely out there composer and performer who died in obscurity at the age of 49 in 1990, but who since then has experienced a real resurgence of interest because of his exceptionally wide and varied musical talents. This is a very brief excerpt from this strange and fascinating piece, Eight Songs for a Mad King. Stolen my 
After that, we need to calm things down a little bit and turn to the more rarefied world of leader. The first three singers that I am going to offer to you today, all three of them singing Schubert, are singers that I had never heard of before and about whom I could find very little information. The first is, relatively speaking, the best known. That is the soprano Helen Colbert. She sang on that Everyman Opera Company tour of Porgy and Bess that was sponsored by the U.S. State Department and which traveled all over the world. She sang on that tour the role of Clara, who of course gets to sing Summertime. And there is a live recording from Berlin of a performance from that tour. I believe it was at the Titania Palast, and you get to hear her singing that. There are also published on YouTube a number of recordings of her singing while she was still a student at Juilliard. But one other series of recordings that Helen Colbert made were in Czechoslovakia in the year 1956. Both she and her colleague Helen Thigpen, whom we heard last week, went into a recording studio and, probably in a rather slapdash manner, put together a number of recordings. She sings, I think, two Schubert Lieder, but she also sings Violetta and Pace Pace, of all things. The recording that I like best of her is of Di Forelle, which she sings with such breezy charm. In einem Bächlein heller Gauchose Frauwein Die launische Forelle vorüber wie ein Pfeil Ich stand an dem Gestade und sah in süßer Ruhe Des Mutenfischleins Bade im klaren Bächlein zu Des Mutenfischleins Bade im klaren Bächlein zu Fischer mit der Runge, voll allem Uferstall, und saß mit kaltem Nun, wie sich das Fischlein wand. So lang im Wasser hell, so dachte ich nicht gebricht, so fängt er die Forelle mit seiner Ungenicht. So fängt er die Forelle mit seiner Ungenicht. Endlich war dem Diebe die Zeit zu lang. Er macht das Bächlein tückisch drüber und ich es gedacht, so zuckte seine Rute, das Fischlein, das Fischlein zappelt dran und ich mit Regenblut sah die Betrogene an und ich mit Regenblut sah die Betrogene an. Thank you. 
following that tour, Helen Colbert more or less disappeared from view. I don't know if anyone knows what actually happened to her, in fact. Now here's another singer whom I know even less about. Her name is Rhea Jackson. She appeared on a pair of recordings recorded in France in the 1950s on the label L'Anthologie Sonore, the Anthology of Sound. One of those records is of Schubert Lieder, the other is of Spirituals. I was very taken with her recording of Haydn Röslein, in which she is accompanied by the French pianist Simone Treillard. I'm not exactly sure when this recording was made. Like so much else surrounding Rhea Jackson, the exact details are shrouded in mystery. both of those recordings by Rhea Jackson, she is joined by the bass John Riley. I also know virtually nothing about him, except that he appeared on a number of recordings with the conductor René Leibovitz, whom we last discussed when I did the birthday episode on Bethany Beardsley. John Riley also appears on the Leibovitz-led recording of Schoenberg's Gurrelieder and on Leibovitz's recording of Offenbach's La Grande Duchesse de Gerolstein. So he appears to have had a little bit more of a recording career than Rhea Jackson, but not all that much. Anyway, he gives a quite wonderful performance 
of Schubert's Das Fischermädchen, one of his handful of Heine settings that was published posthumously under the title Schwanengesang. Once again, the pianist is Simon Treillard. Du schönes Fischermädchen, treibe den Kahn ans Land. Komm zu mir und setze dich nieder, wir kosen Hand in Hand. Komm zu mir und setze dich nieder, wir kosen Hand in Hand. Wir kosen Hand in Hand. Mein Herz, dein Köpfchen und fürchte dich nicht zu sehr. Vertraust du dich doch sorglos täglich dem wilden Meer? Vertraust du dich doch sorglos täglich dem wilden Meer? Täglich dem wilden Meer? Herz gleich ganz die Meere hat Sturm und Eb und Flut. Und manche schöne Perle in seiner tiefer Rot. Und manche schöne Perle in seiner tiefer Rot. In seiner tiefer Last week, I talked about a number of sopranos who had sung the role of Bess, including Anne Wiggins Brown, who created the role. Today, we're going to hear a number of other Besses who were celebrated for their performances in legendary productions of Porgy and Bess. First is Clamet Dale, who took part in the Houston Grand Opera production that made such an enormous impression in the year 1976. Clamet Dale was on the scene for a short period thereafter. She created the soprano role in Bernstein's multi-voiced orchestral song cycle, Songfest. And just recently, someone posted on YouTube a number of live performances from the year 1977 of Clamadale in recital. Now, I think she was a very, very special singer. In some ways, she's almost my favorite best. Of course, Camilla is also great. Leontine was great. Let's strike that. I didn't actually say that. But Clamadale is right up there with the best of them. That I will say for sure. Anyway, here she's accompanied by the pianist Claude Frank in a wonderful performance of Brahms's Von Ewige Liebe. Thank you. 
Here is a singer that I just discovered last year. She's also written about in Keir Thurman's Singing Like Germans book. Her name is Elabelle Davis. She was born in New Rochelle, New York in 1907 and died there in the year 1960. She got her start when, working as a dressmaker, one of her clients heard her singing and offered to pay for her voice lessons. In 1950, she made a number of recordings for Decca Records in England. And some of those are very good. Some of them are a little less than good. Generally, I find her more convincing in song repertoire than I do singing something like Tuque le Vanita or Eben Neandro Lontana. But according to her biography, she also sang Aida, not surprisingly, one of those very few roles that was available to sopranos of color, regardless of if they were vocally qualified to sing the role or not. I'm not going to go off on that again. I talk about that way too frequently. Here's Ella Belt Davis, however, singing that beautiful Victorian parlor song, Chère Nuit, by Alfred Bachelet. It's one of my favorite songs of this type. In fact, probably my favorite song of this type.
Now here's another singer who in her early years was a protege of Leontine Price, sang major roles at the Met and elsewhere, and as far as I know, is still a member of the chorus at the Metropolitan Opera. I know that there were a number of singers who had had careers as soloists worldwide who made the decision to become members of the Met Chorus, and Marvis Martin is one of them. I remember seeing her in recital at the University of Illinois in Urbana when I was a student there, and she did a beautiful, beautiful recital. She taught a master class. She was just gorgeous. I will never forget her performance of Depuis le Jour. She went on, I believe she sang Clara in the first Met performances of Porgy and Bess. If not, I'll delete that part, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. In 1994, she made one of her very few recordings. This was of a chamber orchestra arrangement of Joseph Conteloube's Chant d'Auvergne, Songs of the Auvergne region of France. It is one of the most gorgeous versions of these songs out there, and I'm just going to play you a very short portion of that most exquisite of the arrangements, the shepherd's song by Leroux.
Here is another of the great Besses. This is Cynthia Heyman, who sang that role in the Glindborn performances in 1986. She also made a vital recording of American art songs, which included a number of songs, not arrangements of spirituals, but original songs composed by Harry Burley, whom we heard at the beginning of last week's episode performing his arrangement of Go Down Moses. This is the last of a series of five songs by the poet Lawrence Hope, who was actually a woman named Adela Florence Corey. This is the song Till I Wake. When I am dying, lean over me tenderly, softly, stoop, as the yellow roses droop in the wind from the south. So I may, when I wake, if there be an awakening, keep what lulled me to sleep, the touch of your lips on my mouth. Warren Jones accompanies Cynthia Heyman in this 1992 recording.
Now I have a few opera arias to offer you as the episode winds down. This first singer is a real curio. Her name is Dagmar Prushova, and I first encountered her in a very strange video that was made out in a field in Czechoslovakia of Bess, You Is My Woman Now, which featured Aubrey Panky, whom we heard at the beginning of the episode, singing Porgy, and this woman named Dagmar Prushova singing Bess. She appeared to me for all the world to be in blackface. But as I did whatever little bit of research I was able to do, it appears that she sang at the National Theater in Prague in the late 50s and 60s as a mezzo-soprano in featured roles, including Eboli and Kate in Dvorak's The Devil and Kate. She was a very handsome woman who had perhaps a little less handsome, a little more generic voice. But honestly, how exceptional that there was a woman of color singing in Prague in the late 50s and early 60s. I was able to find exactly one recording featuring her as a soloist. That is a version in Czech of Una Voce Poco Fa. The recording appears to be from 1964, and I'm just going to play a very short portion of it for you. I hope you enjoy this curio. have another very special singer to offer to you whom you may not have heard of before. Her name is Claudia Lindsay. She won the Met competition in 1965, the same year that she made her professional operatic debut, once again as Clara, in Gershwin's Porgy and Bess with City Opera. She sang small roles with San Francisco Opera in following years, and then in 1970 she got her big break singing the role of Palmyra in Frederick Delius's plantation opera Coanga. She sang the U.S. premiere of this in Washington, followed two years later by performances at the Camden Festival at Sadler's Wells and in a recording for EMI Records. She eventually moved to Europe where she sang roles such as The Countess in Figaro, The Female Chorus in Rape of Lucretia, Mimi, 
and the inevitable Aida. I wonder if some of you remember the episode that I did a little over a year ago on that exceptional singer, Lenora Lafayette. At the time that I was making my way through her very scant recorded output, I found a recording of the opera Coanga that was made with Lawrence Winters in the title role. That performance took place in the late 1950s, and I featured liberal excerpts from it because it's a very interesting piece. And the final scene for Palmyra is an almost... Liebestod-like scene of death and transfiguration, sung by Palmyra after Coanga's dead body is brought to her. From a live performance in London from 1972, and this is a rather rare thing that happens to be in my personal collection, here is Claudia Lindsay singing a portion of that scene, which begins with the words, My Lord Coanga, dead.
on Christmas Eve last year, the marvelous African-American mezzo-soprano Gwendolyn Killebrew died at the age of 80. She had spent most of her career based in Germany, and like the exceptional Eugene Holmes, whom I featured last week, was also a member of the Deutsche Oper am Rhein. Following her retirement from singing in 2006, she took on the mantle of teacher and made a huge impact and was a great influence on the lives of many of her students. I featured a brief tribute to her at the time of her death, but I wanted to play something else of her for my dear listeners, because she was a singer I was aware of in the 70s, but I completely took her for granted and undervalued her, and I think that's something that has happened with a lot of the singers that I featured today. So I want to remedy that in whatever small way that I can. In 1979, she was featured in a telecast with Seiji Ozawa and the Boston Symphony of that strange Berlioz opera Beatrice et Benedicte, which is based on Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. The telecast was recently published on YouTube, and though the sound is not great, Gwendolyn Killebrew is absolutely marvelous.
last operatic excerpt we're going to hear today features a singer that I had never heard of before and about whom it was very difficult to find any information. Her name is Gwendolyn Walters. I first discovered her on a recording on Supraphon Records from 1966 of excerpts from Gluck operas in which she sings the role, or I should say roles, of Iphigenie in his Iphigenie en Olide and Iphigenie en Tauride. She appears to have been one of those Zwischenfach singers, like her colleagues Grace Bumbry and Shirley Verrett. I was able to uncover some information mostly regarding her activities in New York in the early 1960s. She appeared in the role of Serena in a revival of Porgy and Bess at City Center in 1964, which would have been right after she graduated from Juilliard. Before that, she also appeared in a revival of Langston Hughes's opera The Barrier, a revision of his play Mulatto, which had been set to music by the composer Jan Majerowitz. The piece was premiered in 1950 and revived in 1961. I also found a copy of a letter from Langston Hughes in which he says of her, Folks think the new soprano, Gwendolyn Walters, is a, quote, discovery. Well, she certainly was a discovery for me. And here she is singing an excerpt from that Iphigenie en Olide in this recording in which the Prague National Theatre Orchestra is led by the conductor Peter Mark. This is Hélas, mon cœur sensible et tendre. Oh, 
This has been a wonderful journey for me, and I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. It really moved me so deeply to hear from those of you who enjoyed that first episode that I did last week. I don't generally talk about myself on this podcast very much, but the day that I am recording this is the 8th anniversary of a very trying day in my life. Those of you who know me already know what this is about. I survived an attempt to end my own life. And for a long time after my hospitalization, I really couldn't even find a reason to get up in the morning. And honestly, when two and a half years ago I started the ball rolling on this podcast, I didn't have great expectations. I always felt that I had been a disappointment to myself and to others. But in the past year or so, I really feel like things have turned around for me. So I extend that same wish to all of you who are suffering right now in whatever capacity. May you also find peace in all of its different manifestations. Peace within your own self, within your body, within your mind, and within your soul. It's such a hard journey, but let's be there for each other, okay? To close things off, here is a singer who is richly deserving of a full episode, but alas, so many singers, so little time, as they say. This is that dearly beloved singer, Matawilda Dobbs, who was a coloratura soprano of such exceptional ability. I've been collecting some of her rarer recordings now, she married a Swedish man and settled in Sweden for many years. And in 1970, she released a recording made in Sweden that featured her with the Swedish organist Gotthard Arner. But the final track is of Matilda Dobbs singing an a cappella version of A City Called Heaven. And I can think of no more appropriate way to end this episode than by giving the floor to the great Matawilda Dobbs.
my dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>